Hey, housewives, come on in. You know the dirty dishes are still in the sink from yesterday and the laundry is still in the basket. Pop your AirPods in and make yourself at home here. I'm Tracy. I'm Tori. And we are your Unlikely Housewives. Stepping out in faith and believing that God calls the unlikely, we are here to show you the appreciation and validation you deserve, lead you to authentic relationships, and release you of believing the cultural lies to restore your faith and wellness. Pull up those high-waisted yoga pants, tighten your top knot, and reheat your coffee for the third time. Turn up the volume and let's go. Housewives. Hey, hey, welcome back this week. We are so excited about our guests this week. And that's right. I said guests because we have two here. And we're adding to our clientele. We've got more men on, which is so exciting because we love getting the husband's perspective, just the man's perspective on things when we're talking about things. But what's really special is about how these guests came to us, because wouldn't you know that God put these people in Tracy's life years ago. So would you do the introduction? I would love to. I'm going to do a formal introduction and then I will share my personal story. So today we have with us Mark and Jill Savage, who are passionate about encouraging, educating and equipping families and marriages. After serving in church ministry for 20 years, the Savages are now meeting the needs of families as authors, speakers, and coaches. Known for their honesty, humor, and practical teaching, Mark and Jill bring hope and encouragement to every audience. Jill is the host of No More Perfect podcast and the author of 14 books, including Real Moms, Real Jesus, and No More Perfect Moms. Together, Mark and Jill have created five online courses, authored several books, including Living With Less So Your Family Has More, No more perfect marriages. I really messed up and my heart is broken. The parents of five adult children and grandparents of six, the Savages make their home in normal Illinois. Okay, so first off, welcome. (laughs) Well, thank you. It's good to be with you. Okay, can I just say, like, listening to some of the titles of your books, I'm like, okay, that's a Christmas present. That's a Christmas present. (laughs) I'm I'm listening to people. I'm going, okay, I need to make notes of who these books are going to be for for Christmas because there's people on there. Yeah. Well, I want to go all the way back to I became a mom in 2008. And I believe I started attending your Hearts for Home conference in 2010. I would come from Chicago and they kind of were in different places. And we'd travel with our small group, our mom's group, and we'd come to the conferences. And what was so incredible is some of my biggest God moments were at that conference. Oh, one of them, I, I know I can't wait to share this one with you. One of them, my husband was interviewing for a job the morning that I was there. And it was a job he wanted and I didn't. And do you want to know what conference I walked into? How to let the Holy Spirit lead your husband. You're not his Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, ouch. Fine. You know, it was one of those I just sat in there and I was like, guess this was for me. <laughs> and he got that job and continued to lead our family. Yes. That's great. Yes. We just have so many memories of your conference. And your first book that I read was Real Mom, Real Jesus. And that was in the season of all of the very <laughs> late nights, early mornings, lack of sleep. 
And I just remember one of your messages in there was just how much we can love our children in the little ways and pray for them. And I remember folding laundry and praying for their purity, just all their things when they're so tiny and their future spouses and all those things. And that has continued with me, like, and just even in folding laundry, like all these little things. So the next, my favorite story is you were coming to town because one of your sons lived in Chicago. Mutual friend knew how much I loved your conferences and loved your books. And she set up a surprise coffee for me. I didn't even know I was going to get to have coffee with you. Um, (laughs) And what an honor it was to sit with you and just talk as real moms. And in a very hard season for you, because you were going through cancer treatments at the time. And even though we were so, you know, distant in years and relationally, like as a sister in Christ, I got to pray with you and then pray with you through the journey that you and Mark walked through. And here we are years later, and you found out about our podcast and reached out. And what an honor to have you here just with us. So thank you, Jill. Thank you. Yeah. She totally fangirled. She messaged me and she goes, oh my gosh, you won't believe I got a message from Jill and she's going to be a guest on her podcast. I'm so excited. And she goes like, this is my person. And I was like... I am ecstatic for you. I'm <laughs> so, so that doesn't tell you how excited she is about this. I, I mean, you have clearly made an impact on her life. And I don't think mm. if it weren't for you, she wouldn't be sitting here today next to me and us being such good, good friends. So, oh, I love that. I love that. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Let's Those see. conferences were really precious conferences. And when you came, they were kind of at their height. We'd have like 6,000 women at a weekend. Mark used to say, there's no chocolate left in town. Like there's (laughs) women come and there's no chocolate left in town. The world's largest slumber party. That's what he used to call it. It was too. The first year we didn't stay over that extra night, like after the conference ended. And then from then on, we stayed that extra night just to like process and pray together and just be together in the hotels Mm -hmm. as our small group. Such a great time. Yeah. 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 So I now the conferences ended in 2017, but I now consider my podcast, which is the No More Perfect podcast. It's kind of hearts at home for a new generation because I think of every episode as like, oh, this would have been a great hearts at home workshop or this would have been a great keynote session. So I think of it that way. It's just delivered in a different way. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about your story and your testimony, because what you guys have gone through and what you have incredibly unique and encouraging testimony of the journey that you guys have been through together. Could you share with our listeners a little bit about it? Yeah, yeah. So Mark and I describe ourselves as we've been married 40 years, 30 of them happily. Man. Not, not 10 bad years in a row. No. Nope. Yeah. A little it's, here, a little there. I was going to say, God is nice enough to space those out typically, <laughs> oh, like sprinkle those in. But, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Exactly. And so there'd been a lot of up and downs. We were raised in very different environments. I was raised in a Christian home, parents with an intact, loving marriage. Mark was raised in a broken home, abusive stepfather. So some of that dichotomy of our backgrounds had affected us and we had tried to like, you'd done a lot of personal healing. We really tried to figure that out. But for me, I just couldn't be free of me. And it just kept dogging me 
from my childhood, the violence and the abuse. And I grew up in a a non-Christian home, ran the streets of Indianapolis, so drugs, alcohol, relationships, all that. And I was pursuing a path very opposite of the Christian life. Until he went to a Billy Graham crusade. Yeah. And he accepted Christ at a Billy Graham crusade. This is Uh a fun story. So my mom and grandmother followed whoever was popular on TV. And so my mom invited me, which for my mom, an invitation was a command. So she invited me to come and see Billy Graham. And he was at a big stadium in Indianapolis. So I said, okay, mom. So I got stoned and went and met her at this Billy Graham crusade. I didn't even know who Billy Graham was. And as we were walking in, I was joking, is this a new rock band, mom? And rolling her eyes. But I tell you, I showed up and it was like the Holy Spirit cleared my head and Billy Graham pulled up a chair, not literally, but it was as if he pulled up a chair and said, Mark, I'm going to answer questions you didn't even know you had. And when he gave the offer to receive Christ, I ran like a wild man down to that uh, platform to say, I want this. I need this. And so that was the beginning of my relationship with Christ. That's incredible. What about your mom and your grandmother? So I was the first to accept. And then eventually they accepted as well. Not at that event. So I was really, I'm the first generation Christian in Mm -hmm. our home. That in our family. I received my first Bible and didn't even know how to start that. I didn't know one single Christian. I didn't attend church. And so it was really a journey out of the pit into a relationship with him. Yeah. And we met almost two years later. Yeah. And for me, I'd been raised in a Christian home. However, right around the time that I met Mark, I was moving from religion to relationship. Like I was beginning to understand that it wasn't just about showing up at church on Sunday. It was this personal relationship with Christ. And so we kind of grew up together spiritually, I feel like, even though I had that foundation that he didn't have, a living, breathing relationship with God became a part of our early journey. So we got married. Mark decided he wanted to go into ministry. So we actually moved to Illinois when we had a two-year-old and a six-week-old. Right. Yeah, a two-year-old and a six-week-old so he could go to Bible college. He became a pastor, served on a large church staff for 10 years. He was children's pastor. I was women's ministry director. And then we church planted. And the church planting was really difficult. Yeah. That was very trying for our relationship, very trying personally. Mm-hmm. And in 2010, Mark made the decision to retire from ministry. And he uh, always says that that it it really wasn't retirement. No, it was running like a wild man. I was disillusioned and just devastated by Christians, by the church. I was really angry at God and I was angry at everybody. I just felt like everybody was a problem but me until I realized that me was the problem. And so upon retirement, I 
launched a, a remodeling, a house remodeling business. I went back to what I had always known, and that was woodworking and just working on homes. And that was growing, but I was spiraling emotionally at a, at, a pretty, at a pretty fast pace. I couldn't understand what was going on. I would have always said that my identity wasn't in pastoring, but when I was no longer pastoring, I was struggling. And I ended up in a full-on midlife crisis, affair included. I left Jill and the kids, believing this other relationship was the ticket. And I would have said we were least likely to ever, ever experience something like that. Yeah. I knew he was struggling. I knew he was struggling. And he had struggled off and on all of our marriage. At that point, we'd been married 28 years. And he had struggled off and on with depression, with anxiety. So I just thought this is another one of those seasons. I didn't realize that it was more than that. So yeah, it was a dark, dark year. And during that year, well, after I found out about the affair, I asked God, what do you want me to do, Lord? I don't even know what to do. Like, there's no handbook on this. There's no nothing. I don't know what to do. And I very clearly heard God whisper to my heart, I want you to love him. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Right? (laughs) I mean, come on, Lord. I don't. And I remember saying this to the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed lately, but he's not real lovable right now. And I heard the Lord whisper back to my heart, sometimes you aren't either. And I was like, wow, God, you love me when I'm unlovable. I don't know how to do that. (laughs) And God took me on this journey to learn to love at a deeper level than what I had ever experienced. And up to that point, hey, he loved me. I loved him. So it was reciprocal. It's a whole different ball game when somebody loves somebody who isn't loving them back. Yeah. That was quite the journey. Mm-hmm. Can I ask a question? Mark, did you come forward about the affair or did you, Jill, find out about the affair and come towards him? I kept it hidden. I was starting to have conversations with an old girlfriend. It began. It started on Facebook. And she reached out to me. She was going through a divorce. Later, I learned really this was, she contacted me, said, hey, I'm going through a divorce. You're a pastor. Will you help me? And I was like, sure. But I was already primed. I was just totally cut off from Jill emotionally. And I was done. We had had a, an argument. Jill and I had had an argument in Florida on a vacation. And at that point, I decided I'm done. I'm, I'm leaving. I didn't know what that meant. And then this that started. Uh, oh, that started and Jill found out right away. She saw that I was texting this gal. Within about a month. Yeah. yeah within about a month, I, I saw a text and I discussed it with him. And he said, oh, I won't do that anymore. I was just helping her. But it went underground. Yeah. Right. And then three months later, I discovered that it had moved to physical affair. Right. And I only asked that because it, obviously it's different. Like if you were to come 
there's just different circumstances, right? Like if Mm -hmm. coming forward and saying, hey, I'm leaving you, I have someone else. And then, or it's the Jill coming upon it. And I mean, because it, it does, it throws a whole different perspective on how light is shown, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Oh, right. Exactly. Well, and I have a girlfriend, her name's Becky, and Becky just really has this strong sense of discernment in her. And every time Becky would be at my house in this season, like I had told her about finding out he was talking to this person. And But every time Becky was like, Jill, he is not in a good place. Like, I can feel it. He's not in a good place. And I was like, I know, I know, I know. And she was like, hey, if you ever need me, you can call me any time of the day, 24 hours a day. And I'm like, yeah, I'm not going to call you 24 hours a day. And she's like, I'm just telling you, if you need me, you call me in the middle of the night. That's okay." And I'm like, "Okay, whatever. Well, I'm speaking up in the Chicago area. I come home. And he's laying in bed, holding his phone, but asleep. And I thought, oh my goodness. And it was like midnight. And so I just pick up the phone and I'm going to go plug it in because I'm like, he's asleep. But what you also have to understand is he was... I was drinking and I was was doing... I was just a mess. He was doing... He was drinking to numb the chaos inside of him. And he had never drank in our married life like... So this had been something he'd started having beer in the fridge. And Mm -hmm. so really he had passed out is what had happened. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that then. But I picked up the phone and when I saw the texts on the phone, it became evident that they had been together. And I went downstairs Because I just thought, I cannot react to this. I cannot react to this. This is, I need to respond to this. So I went downstairs and I'm like, Lord, I don't even know what to do. And the first impulse I had was, I'm calling this person on my husband's phone. So I did. I called them and I told her that I expected her to never speak to my husband again. And that I knew what was going on and that she was called to be more than a homewrecker. Like she was called, God had something in her, a plan for her, and it was not this. And then I called my friend Becky at one o'clock in the morning. I was so grateful that Becky had said, you call me anytime. And Becky answered. And we cried and we prayed and we cried and we prayed. And I probably was on the phone for her for probably a couple of hours. And we had a counseling appointment the next day. So Becky and I decided together that it was probably best that I confront Mark in the counseling appointment, that I don't try to do it before, because if I did it before, he probably wouldn't even go to the counseling appointment. And so we did. And I, I said that in the counseling appointment, I know what's happening. I know you're having an affair. And he immediately said, you're right. I am. And I'm not stopping. This was not my husband. Like, He was so arrogant and so just. Yeah, I mean, I I was I was very prideful and arrogant. And yet I did continue to wrestle with. Am I doing the right thing? Am I not doing? And I would I left this. And you knew from God's perspective, you were not doing the right thing, but you were so hopeless that life could be different, that you had gotten to a place of saying, yeah. I'm, I'm going my own way. Right. 
Well, and when you start the negative thinking, what happens is you, there's a term confirmational bias. And so what was Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. was I was finding confirmation all the time that we were hopeless. And I ended up doing some remodeling work for a, a couple that they were in their 80s. And he was a very quiet, gentle man. And she was just mean. She was like a vicious dog and just biting him all the time. And honestly, that was like the final confirmation, like, this is us. I am not going to be this and I'm done. But I left that relationship seven times, hoping to come home and it'd be different, but it, I couldn't find that difference. Yeah. So during that, I discovered the affair in October of 2011. Eventually, Mark left in February of 2012. And I did have that conversation that you had alluded to earlier. I told Jill, I'm leaving you. I'm divorcing you. I'm pursuing a relationship with this other woman. That's what happened in February. Yeah. And but during that time between October and actually April, when Mark made a full recommitment to our marriage and our family, he went back and forth. He would recommit to our marriage and then he would go back to the other relationship. He would recommit. He did that seven times during that season. Seven. That is incredible. I mean, for, for both of you. For both of you. <laughs> I mean, to, to admit and go back and, and, and try and for Jill to open open arms, open heart, and to welcome him back in. Like most people would say, okay, shame on you. And then second time, shame on me. And then like, hey, that was trying to call call it a day. Like, no, this is not. And seven, obviously being a biblical number two, which is incredible. Like, doesn't he he show off? I mean, he's kind (laughs) of like, I'm in this and I just want your mind. But like, I mean, you don't hear that. You don't hear people just not giving up. I don't think not fighting, not fighting for it. It, And then that's a fight going back and forth and back and right. The struggle. You're right. Yeah. The fight isn't there. We are seeing it so much. It's gone on for so long. And I think that's what we're getting to is what that looked like prior to this season. Obviously, was what that looks like in your marriage before you got to this point, because that's what we want to do is encourage marriages to not get to this point. But obviously, my question then be. Mark, what did it take for you to make that commitment? And Jill, what were you going through with your relationship with Christ and going, help me forgive him, help me forgive him? Both of you have a perspective on that. For sure. Well, I would say for me, I was taking my cue from the Holy Spirit and God's word all the time. Like I was like, I do not want my emotions to lead me. I want truth to lead me. I didn't do that perfectly. There were some times that my emotions led me. And I'm not proud of those moments. But in general, that's what I was really working hard at. And so I felt like each time I would say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And I'd still hear, I want you to love him. I want you to love him. I want you to love. That's all. That was like the only marching order I had. And And it's funny. Sorry, just like he didn't say, I want you to stay committed to this marriage. All he was saying was, you can't see the step in front of you, but at this moment, I just want you to love him. Yep. Like, yeah. that was it. Like, he's not, because if he had told you, Jill, you're going to stay in this marriage, you probably would have thought, like, no, and you would have been hopeless. But all he said was, I just want you to love him. 
Like, mm-hmm. yep. that is so the Holy Spirit. Well, and mm-hmm. I actually, so after I separated from Jill. We would see each other on occasion. Yeah, we would see each other. I wanted us to meet because we had kids and I wanted us to navigate that part of our life well. And, but I noticed that Jill was different. At first, I didn't trust it. I didn't believe it. I thought she was manipulating me. But I saw consistency that really began to bear hope in me that, wow, something's different about her. She's changing. And we would talk about that. I knew that she was trying to make changes. I just didn't trust it in the beginning. Yeah. And I feel like the Lord was showing. So we call ourselves, we're now Mark and Jill 2.0. Right. And in order for there to be a Mark and Jill 2.0, there has to be a Jill 2.0 and a Mark Mm 2.0. Right. And so I feel like I started becoming Jill 2.0 in the midst of that dark season. Somebody walked up to me. We were talking about the Hearts at Home conference earlier, Tracy, and somebody walked up to me at that conference when I shared what was going on. Mm -hmm. And they said to me, I think there's a book that would be really helpful for you. And she said, for whatever it's worth, here's the name of it. And she like pressed a piece of paper into my hand. I was like, okay. And I mean, a lot of people made lots of recommendations during that season, but that one stuck out to me. So I went home and ordered the book and the book was called The God-Empowered Wife, How Strong Women Can Help Their Husbands Become Godly Leaders. And I was like, interesting. And so so Jill, she ordered the book and I read the title. She showed it to me and the title ticked him off. It ticked me off. (laughs) The subtitle ticked him off. I was like. I mean, it's a little bit of an insult, right? Saying, implying that you're not a, at that point. Right. But well, it, okay. and, and my thing was, you've been doing that our whole marriage, and I'm sick of it. And what's interesting is the introduction of the book, the author addresses that straight up. She says, right now, if you're a husband reading this title and it's ticked you off, this was not written for you. It's written for your wife. And I think that she will find powerful principles within this book. And I thought that was wow. funny. It was like, okay, obviously. It was designed to draw the woman in. Yeah. And on. So anyway, it was a very powerful book for me. I was really convicted of the control that I had had in our marriage of Mark would use the word that I was parenting him. Managing Ooh. me. Managing him. I've heard that before. Ooh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Matt. I just became very, very convicted of how I had misused my strength in our marriage. And so literally we were separated. I called him at 2 a.m. one morning because I was reading the book in the middle of the night. And I was just so convicted over it that I called him and I said, I am so sorry. I see it. And I'm just... So sorry for the way that I have misused my strength in our relationship. Mm. And he expressed, I'm, I appreciate that. It doesn't make any difference, but I appreciate that. I think I said, we'll see how this plays out. But I was so checked out at that point. But isn't that forgiveness sometimes? Like it's, yes, that was 
you had to say it, Jill. Like you called him, you felt convicted to call him and say it. And then sometimes the other part of it is Mark going, I appreciate you saying it, but it doesn't mean anything to me now. And that's an honest feeling, but we're mm-hmm. so encouraged to tell people like, it's okay. When somebody says, right. I'm sorry, you just say, no, it's fine. Okay. Like you can just, but you mm-hmm. can also, I tell my kids, you don't have to forgive them yet. Like you can say, I appreciate you saying it, but you don't have to feel it yet. So but. we teach that forgiveness opens the door to rebuilding trust that they're not. A lot of times people confuse trust and forgiveness as the same thing, and they're not. Yes. Oh, that's, so, that's a very good point. Yep. And so, like that. but you have to forgive to rebuild trust. And we actually use a math equation, consistent change behavior over time equals trust. So CCB over T equals TR. And we didn't understand that principle at that point, but we began to see that played out that I was looking for consistency. in So, so my words at that point were cheap. Yeah. Like they were because when you need to rebuild trust with somebody, it's words don't matter. It's the only time in marriage that words don't matter. Only yeah. actions matter. So my words were the start, but he, in essence, was like, yeah, well, We'll see if that makes any difference. Right. But it really, I was seriously convicted of that. And I continued to grow and change the way that I interacted with him, the way that I loved him. And in time, he began to see that indeed, I really was serious about making those changes. Yeah. And honestly, here's what was going on in in my head. I don't know if my marriage is going to make it or not. I don't know. But what I do know is God is revealing growth opportunities to me and I have to follow that. And whether my marriage makes it or doesn't make it, I still have some places to grow. So that's what I'm committed to. At this point, like you are doing women's conferences that are having thousands of attendees. Yeah. You, are a, you are an author. You have reviews from people that are saying, Jill, oh my gosh, you saved my marriage, my life. Like you've called me, like your book has been transforming. Like you are getting all this affirmation and praise from something else other than, I mean, worldly affirmation and praise. All wonderful. All good things. All good things. All good things. And because you are, you're on a platform. You have influence. You have stage you are by the world's terms considered a strong woman like look at her she's on stage speaking to thousands of women on a regular basis she's an author and yet Mm -hmm. in like that is not where you're supposed to be at home within your marriage so like i think we are seeing that so much like boss babe right feminism calling women going go be bold be strong be all the things but i think there is such a point of women forgetting or misusing like you said misusing their strength there's yeah. a place for it there but there's also a different way to 
Like that's not necessarily the strength that you're supposed to have at home within your marriage walls. Like, and that's because we're told that I can do anything a man can do and I don't need a man or, but like to have God just like use your heart, like. We'll reveal it in such a way. Yes. Feel it reveal the revealing of it, you know. I mean, mm-hmm. I I have been there. I worked very hard in a very long season in the hustle culture. And I remember, and my marriage has always been very strong. We've obviously had our difficult seasons, as do all. But I remember having a conversation one night with my husband. It was not a conversation. It was an argument. It was presented to me that I have filled my bucket through my career, every single bucket. And I no longer needed him. And it was evident. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that was exactly, and that, that was, was exactly what Mark, Mark said that those words, he said, you don't need me. Mm-hmm. So you uh, don't need me. When we first started having this conversation that you don't need me, Jill was like, I do need you. And we were talking that her women love the idea of me, but I'm not really. That's what you said. That's what I said. You kept saying People like the idea of me, but they really want you. So Jill and I are leading a marriage conference. I don't even remember. Yeah, down in Southern Illinois. Mm -hmm. So we're dry and we're having this discussion. And it really was a discussion. Yeah, it wasn't an argument. We were just talking about it. It was before before 2012. This is before. Yes. This is a before 2012. Okay. This is all leading up to that. And we round this corner And again, Jill and I are speaking together. There's this huge banner. Welcome, Jill Savage. No more perfect or yeah, whatever the. No, it wasn't even no more perfect at that time. It just says it just says this church welcomes Jill Savage. Yeah. And I was like, exactly. And it wasn't Mark and Jill Savage. Yeah. And we were speaking together. And man, the enemy used that moment like that was like a stake in the ground. For his confirmational bias. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. Right. And there were other situations where I just found validation after validation that I'm not needed. And that was part of my convincing that Jill's going to be fine. She doesn't need me, but I'm not fine. And so. But here's the other thing in our healing process. So when we got to the other side and we began yeah. to heal, we learned about something called attachment styles. And attachment styles are the relating patterns that you have from your home of origin. And we learned that I had a, and I say had because we've done a lot of healing since then, but I had the avoidant attachment style. And I had the anxious attachment style. And so the avoidant attachment style for me, quite frankly, avoiders don't need anybody. Like they learn to be super independent. So I was raised in a loving home, a loving family, but we did not do emotion. If life got hard, we got hard. Like you got strong. And so I didn't understand that about myself. It's honestly what made me a good boss mom, like a good boss in the corporate world and all of that. It made me a really strong leader but it did not make me a good wife or a good mother at home. And I'm going to say I feel very seen right now. And there's like a, you can see my face. Like I'm literally like 
Unlikely Housewives, you'll have to watch the video of this because my as she's describing this, I'm just like, oh, oh gosh, that is that's my, her. that's <laughs> a thousand percent me. Mm-hmm. That's, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I didn't know it. I didn't understand it. And so honestly, when we learned that in our healing process, it was like, finally, we understood some of the dynamics that were playing out because we thought we had a Mark and Jill problem. Right. We had an avoider anxious problem. Mm-hmm. And it, until we discovered that and learned about it, and then ultimately, we both worked to move for me to move from being avoidant to being secure. And me moving from anxious to being secure. And so tell us about anxious. So tell yeah. us about, yeah, anxious. So anxious is really broken into three different categories, a pleaser, a vacillator, and a, a victim. And so the- And you were all three. I was all three. And they, those styles kind of tag teamed depending upon my thinking or the circumstances. And so a pleaser exhausts themselves trying to please people to keep conflict down, to keep conflict at bay. They have built their life from childhood, learning to manage the people around them, but have no ability to manage themselves. So if you ask a pleaser, what do they need? They're like, I don't know what I need, but I know what you need. And usually those that grow up in any type of an environment that creates an anxious attachment, pleaser, vacillator, victim, what they had is they deal with a lot of fear, a fear of rejection. They're always looking for connection in their the relationship. They're always saying, are we okay? Are we okay? Are we okay? And the connection is never that they do have is always lacking to some degree. So they want more and more and more. And I buried Jill under my demand for more. And it didn't matter if it was sexual or just being together is like, I couldn't get enough of Jill and that was wearing to her. Right. It was fueling this cycle that we had because often anxious is married to avoidant. Yeah. And so the anxious will chase the avoidant partner, but the avoidant partner wants space and autonomy. And so then the anxious partner is like, they're discouraged because they can't get what they want because the avoidant keeps trying to move away from them. So they kind of swing away. That's especially when they become more like a vacillator because they vacillate away, but they can only stand so much distance. So then they start chasing again but the avoidant partner moves away. And we had this dance that was just going on nonstop in our relationship. We didn't know it. No. We didn't understand it. But that dynamic had been playing out for 28 years. And when we figured this out, and I mean, we've been in and out of counseling for years and nobody had ever explained this to us. And even in our post-infidelity counseling, He didn't explain it to us. We figured it out by reading a book and went, oh my gosh, this was huge. Okay, what book? What book? How We Love. How We Love. Yeah, I picked that book up at a conference on a whim. The copy at that point had the word pleaser on the front and I'd always been accused in a negative way of being a pleaser. And so I just grabbed the book and thought this would be interesting. 
but that was a God moment. I felt like God just took me and put that book in my hand because we were reading this book and for the first time in our life, we were like, oh my gosh. Like it described us. Yeah. It described us. We actually interviewed the authors of the book on our podcast, the No More Perfect podcast. It's episode 108. Perfect. Thank you. So yeah, that's a great way to just do a quick listen and get the concept of, they call them love styles. And now we function as marriage coaches. That's what we're committed to. That's what we specialize in is that we help couples identify the patterns that are playing out in their marriage and how their attachment is affecting their relationship and then how they can move from where they are to that secure attachment. Because it was, I mean, honestly, it saved our marriage. It it 100% saved our marriage. And when I became secure, I began to have more compassion, more self-compassion, more others' compassion. I stopped operating as a buck-up mindset because everything was buck-up for me as an avoider. And it changed my dynamics as a mother, as a wife. I mean, it, it completely transformed that. And then Mark, and moving from anxious to secure, he no longer was dealing with rejection and fear. And shame. And I had a confidence that I had never experienced before. I just, I was always fretting and worried about the next negative event and becoming secure, which Jill and I both say is secure connectors, really learning to live and love like Christ and to live, lead and love like Christ. Because Jesus was a secure connector. He was. And so as we navigated life as a secure, confident person, it totally changed everything. It changed our relationship with each other. It changed my ability to voice my thoughts without fear. And Mm -hmm. that was huge. That was a powerful change. Yeah. Hey, housewives. We are so excited. Oh my goodness. This is a dream come true. Y'all have heard us talk about our sauna sessions from the beginning, and we have Sun Lighten as a sponsor of Unlikely Housewives. Why wouldn't we have a sauna session that brings all of the good juices flowing right out of our bodies when we're detoxing? Bring it right to the Unlikely Housewives. Exactly. But first of all, some of those benefits. The intention of getting in the sauna for us was not to create a podcast. No. No, mm -mm, I have another job. wanted to sweat. Detox. Detox. We wanted to boost our immunity. We wanted the reducing of inflammation and some weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's anti-aging. I mean, there's so many benefits to infrared sauna sessions. And so that was our initial purpose. Yeah. And just to vent, it was that season of life that we just needed to sit and talk and talk about what was going on. And that's where it all happened was in the sauna. Did you realize that there are studies that show heat therapy produces endorphins, those feel good emotions? So we were boosting our mood and ideas. So far, we boosted so far that a podcast idea came just flowing out. You guys, 
This is an incredible opportunity for you. You can have up to $600 off using our link, which is get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. That's get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. We'll put that link in the show notes for you too. But $600 off a Sunlighten purchase. The one that I have got is the Impulse 3-in-1 Believe. And it's amazing, y'all. It has been the best health investment for our family. I'll say my friends because I invite them yeah. over. That's how I use the saunas in your. I, I know. Sweat. I if come you, over and sweat. But it's so good and such a benefit. And, and you so, said family investment. The kids can get in it, too. Exactly. The second I hear that there is a stomach bug going around class, get in the sunlight and girls like you're going to do this in 20 minutes. Let's make sure your immune system is up to par to not bring that home for anybody. It is a family investment and you will not regret it. Again, that link for us is get.sunlighten.com backslash unlikely. All the link will be in the show notes. My question, I guess, to go back a little bit, I love that this book has done that. It was in, and I want to bring this up because it's part of the story that I know. In all of this, you also, Jill, had cancer. And Mm -hmm. then came post the infidelity while you were separated. And when we met for coffee, the surprise coffee that I got to have with you, you were in treatment. And I remember just talking about the struggles and praying through that with you. What was that like in that season? And both of you, Mark, what was your part in that as well? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was diagnosed with breast cancer six months after Mark returned home. So Mark actually returned home on Easter Sunday of 2012. We like to say he had his own personal resurrection. Guys, that was the day I was baptized. What? (laughs) So what? I'm I'm serious. My husband and I were baptized on Easter of 2012. April. Oh, my gosh. That's That's so cool. I love that. I have good (laughs) thoughts. Literally, I mean, that was such a special day. I mean, it's marker day for us, and it's obviously a marker day for you guys. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. I love it. God was working overtime that day. Yes, he did. Oh my gosh! I think he does that all the time, (laughs) right? Yeah. So that was April, early April of 2012, and I was diagnosed in November with breast cancer. It was a very aggressive form of breast cancer called triple negative breast cancer. The reason they call it that is because it's negative for all the hormone markers like estrogen and progesterone and all of that that usually fuel breast cancer. The problem is because it's triple negative, they actually don't know what fuels it. So they throw everything at it. So I had to have chemo, radiation, surgery, the whole gamut. Now that we look back, we have come to understand, I probably, according to my surgeon, my breast surgeon, uh, that cancer had probably been in my body for four or five years. The cancer is often there microscopically. But when you go through something like what I went through with the affair, it raises the cortisol levels in the body. 
And that ultimately causes inflammation and inflammation fuels disease. And so it most likely that year of stress most likely really caused the cancer to grow to the place where obviously it was discovered on a routine mammogram in November of 2012. Mm -hmm. And so that was certainly a, not what I was anticipating to add to an already stressful season of life. Right. For sure. But we've now come to understand that it is not uncommon We work with a lot of people that are coming out of crisis. As marriage coaches, we work with a lot of people and it is not uncommon for illness to be on the other side of that as sometimes a cancer diagnosis because of this very reason. Yeah. That's incredible. I mean, and I I want to say we don't give God enough credit on like the human body. In a negative way, I mean, it's not cancer having that, it, not a great, but I mean, like, like the body keeps score. Yeah. Right? I mean, and if we are not good stewards of how we manage our body, our stress and proactive in it, yep. things, things happen. Like when you know more, you do better. And like, if that's anything we can encourage our listeners with. Like, you're probably either coming from a crisis, going into a crisis, or coming out of a crisis. Yep. So, like, that's kind of how life works. So, make sure that you are doing things, getting your regular tests done, getting regular blood work done, getting your mammograms, getting your pat, like, things of those natures. Like, and know your markers. Like, we're all uniquely made. So, your normal is only your normal. And if you feel that your body, if something, like be your best advocate. If you feel like something is wrong, do not stop until you find an answer because you know your body better than any medical professional ever will. I would also add that what I know now about stress management and what it does to your body and all of that is that even when you're in the middle of a crisis, self-care is just so very important. Like getting out in nature doing things to lower that cortisol level, exercising, eating well, eating healthy, eating whole foods. All of those things are super, super important. And we've been through some crisis since then. And we now operate so much differently. We just went through a crisis with a son, just a a situation with one of our sons. And in the midst of it, we made sure we still got our daily walk-in. We made sure that we were eating well, like we knew because we've learned this, that you got to be really intentional about that self-care so that it doesn't take over your body and and give your body something to keep score with. Absolutely. Well, and I want to just so our listeners know that you are considered cancer free. You went into Mm -hmm. remission and you have been 10 years or beyond the 10 years. So you are considered cancer free. So that is wonderful news. Let's just move on to the part that we talked about in the initial pre-interview. We were kind of talking about this. You now know how your strength and being a strong woman is a gift from God. Yep. But now you know how to use it in your marriage. Can you just share with our listeners what that looks like now? So I had to 
come to understand how much control was robbing us of connection. And so I have, that was probably the biggest thing that the book, The God Empowered Wife really addressed was the control. And really it comes down to trust in the Lord. Do I trust God? Really? Well, why am I trying to control things? Because if I really trust the Lord, then I wouldn't have any need to control. And so it got to the heart of that for me. And as I have moved away from being avoidant to being secure, I've gotten to a place where people are more important than projects. Because for me, I was very task-oriented before. And Mark felt that. Like Mm -hmm. he felt like he was just another project. Mm -hmm. He was just another thing on the to-do list. There wasn't emotional connection because quite frankly, I didn't even know how to have emotional connection. Mm -hmm. Even in the home that I grew up in, I used to describe we were five individuals that lived under one roof. We weren't highly connected. And so I just didn't even know how to do that. Most voiders don't. They learn to be independent growing up. And so I carried that independence and I saw that as a strength. And in some environments it is, but not in the home environment. And so I had to change how I used my strength at home. And it now was affirming Mark. It was identifying the ways that the strengths that he brought. And quite frankly, it was dealing with my own pride and having to admit the sin of pride and replacing that with humility. And for me, when I first came into marriage, I was confident and I was secure. I didn't understand the whole secure connector thing, but came into marriage with confidence. But that was short lived because as I began to navigate life with Jill, I realized I really had no training. I didn't want my marriage to be like the family that I had growing up, but I had no idea what different meant. I didn't know what healthy meant. And so as we would try to navigate conflict, I would not do that well. As we would try to navigate difference of opinions, I would not do that well. And I began to shut down. I just stopped talking. And a lot of that was fueled by messages from childhood, messages from uh, the lies of the enemy that tell me that I'm nothing, that I, my voice doesn't matter. Those all partnered with messages from childhood. And, and I really began to see Jill as the female version of my stepdad. She wasn't hitting me, but her words, the way she managed the way I felt managed and parented by her, I was like, I have just escaped one hell for another. That was not true, but that was what I was believing. Yeah. So you began to learn how to use your voice. That became a really important part of your journey to speak up sooner. Right. Because you would be silent and simmering. Yeah. And then explode. Right. Or in the case of 2011, 2012, act out. Right. Which is what we often see when we're helping a couple recover from crisis. If they've had the strong woman, silent man cycle going on, 
then oftentimes the man will have an affair, act out in some way, because that's their way of finding their voice. And it's an illicit way of finding your voice. It's not the best way to do that. But it is like this act of, hey, you're going to hear me now. And so you've really learned how to speak up. I've had to make it safe for you to speak up Mm -hmm. because we also had a cycle before where if you did speak up, I was quick to say why you were wrong. Right. So I've had to make it safe for you to speak up. And even if you didn't make it safe, I still had to speak up. Mm -hmm. And I remember the first time I realized as I was making changes, I need to communicate to Jill that I have a different opinion. And I had never done this. And it's almost like the cartoon where sweat was just pouring. I was filling the room with with sweat. You were so anxious. I was so I was so anxious. But I was like, I need for me to communicate and for her, I need for us for me to tell her my thoughts. And as I was voicing my difference of opinion to her, I started by saying, hey, Jill, I, and just as I'm starting to tell her I disagree, she hauled off and kissed me and said, I have waited all of our adult marriage for you to have an opinion. I'm like, geez. (laughs) I love that. Also, like, it wasn't, you're not a quiet man in all of your life. I mean, you're, right. you're a pastor. Like yeah. you, so you were also speaking from a stage pastoring. So you had influence and you were managing a business and running a business. And like, so yeah. it's not like you are a natural behind the scenes kind of guy, the introvert, like those were all things. But I mean, you are a very strong man in the world also, yeah. but at home, you were more silent. Powerless. Powerless. So like that's, I want people to realize that too. Like it's not like we are, can be very different people to the outside world than we are in home and what that looks like. So I mean, that. oh, I say that all the time. Like when it comes to marriage, nobody knows ours, nobody knows yours. No, I mean, yes, we can talk about bits and pieces of it, but behind the scenes and, and in the walls of your own home, we talk about it all the time with our kids. Like there are things that we discuss in our house and the six of us discuss because this is a safe place. Like we have to be able to have these conversations and it be a safe place for everybody to use their voice. We're a very loud family. We're very strong. Even all six of us, we maybe have a couple that aren't so much. We all have a voice and mm-hmm. we are learning to not only use it, but to take a minute in that act of listening I mean, we're teaching these kids all the time because we are so loud. (laughs) Yes. But outside in the world, I don't know that people see that of all of us. Like, it's just, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. I wish we knew now what we know about emotional health when we've been raising our kids. I wish we did. We, We didn't. We just didn't know it then. I would go back with an eraser and erase. But that's part of the journey of life. But yeah. it's also never too late. Right. Yeah. That's what I have learned. It's never too late because now I am a much more compassionate person. I do need other people. Mm-hmm. And 
that has changed not only my relationship with my husband, but it's changed my relationship with my kids and my grandkids. Yeah. And so it's never too late to do the right thing. It's never too late to learn something different. It's never too late to develop a new skill. Right. Absolutely. And it's so good. And we thank you guys for your time, your testimony, your story. It really is beautiful how God has used you through the 40, little over 40 years of marriage. And would you guys share, I know what you guys do for coaching and your retreats and things, but please share with our listeners, you know, if they're going through crisis or need some encouragement, how they can connect with you guys. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The best place is through our website, which is markandjill.org, markandjill.org. And we offer marriage coaching. We do that in person as well as in through Zoom. And we also offer what we call our marriage 2.0 intensives. And that's where a couple comes to our home. They stay in our home from, depending on if it's a three-day, four-day, or five-day, but Friday to Sunday, Friday to Monday, or Tuesday. And we work with just them. We dig into their dynamics. We dig into their messages. We dig into their love styles and help them begin to turn that around and create that 2.0 relationship that they long for. And we love doing what we do. We also have some online courses. We have one on rebuilding trust. Uh, We have one called The Weight Is Not Wasted for someone who was doing what I was doing during that dark year, standing Mm -hmm. for their marriage. And so we have a lot of resources online. If you go to our website and you click on marriage, there's a drop down. And then it has all kinds of different resources there. It'll say like for happy marriages, for hurting marriages, for marriages recovering from infidelity, you can get to the right section of our website. And if somebody needs to rebuild trust, we have a free rebuilding trust guide and you can get that at rebuildingtrust.us. That's rebuildingtrust.us. It's a free guide that helps you to know the next right step to take. I love that. I always say the next right step too. It just goes to show how incredible God's web is. I mean, really, the orchestration of it all and just the beautiful timeline of it. And we thank you guys so much for your time and your story. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And I know this is going to encourage people and may even meet people where they are. And I hope that it does. And it really actually helps take that next right step and moving forward. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Well, housewives, that is it for our episode today. And if you haven't been to our website lately, definitely go sign up for our newsletter for the exclusive content and video. Like I said, you want to see some of our facial reactions (laughs) when we feel really called out and convicted on some things, which is kind of annoying. That's all right. We'll share it anyways. And that is unlikelyhousewives.com. So Thank you, housewives. Until next time, have a good week. Bye. Whether we made you laugh or cry today, we pray you feel appreciated, bolder and braver than yesterday, stronger and more faithful for tomorrow and living in who you were made to be today. Join our online community on Facebook, link in the show notes, and be sure to review and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy listening. Until next time, housewives, we give you permission to walk confidently, free, and to be intentional in your slippers or stilettos.